0: You get the factory versus the craftsman. You know, you look at antique pocket watches. There's artistry in there. That's it's craft, it's time, it's practice, it's talent. But we've we've separated those. And then also, I think that you know, after the Enlightenment, you know, you'd have the the Romantic movement in art, Impressionism. You you, you look at the later art movements, and it becomes much more uh, subjective, much more separated from the ordinary as soon as you separate those things and you isolate the ordinary from the beautiful or see them as separate that that's when things start breaking down and and you lose contact
1: Welcome to WorkWise, the growth mindset for wisdom at work. Today, we have a special guest. His name is Ned Bustard.
0: Yes, we do, he's a brand new friend of ours. Yeah, so uh, welcome to the podcast, Ned. Thank you very much, I appreciate the fact that you all think I'm real special too.
1: Well, yes, and well, I was looking over your stuff, it it looks very special. So Ned's an artist, he's an illustrator, he runs his own World's End Images company, worldsendimages.com, and you can see his illustrations there um and in addition to doing his own thing there he also works with uh Siva which is a group of uh, Christians in the Visual Arts, I think it stands for. Yes. And uh, works there, and also um, his side job is working at Square Halo Books, which was kind of the uh, impetus for this podcast. Square Halo is a, a publishing company, and so he publishes books. Uh, what would you say, Ned, related to uh, art and faith and work? and?
0: That's how it's ended up. It started as a theological uh, press, so it was going to just focus on... on um you know, arcane theological ideas, but has kind of morphed into more of a art and faith publishing. Got house. it.
1: Yeah. So great. So um, we brought him on the podcast today, discussed uh, the focus of, of one of the books that came out uh, in the last few years. It was good. Uh, Making Art for the Glory of God, I think is the uh,
0: name of it. It was good. It was one in a series of three books, three books. The third one has just come out. Yeah. The first one started, I think it was in 2000 that came out.
1: So um, Mike, you had a chance to review uh, the book and you've got some questions. Uh, Why don't you cue it up?
0: Yeah, but I was,
2: you know, it was interesting to look at this book to see the the collection of authors in here uh, and uh, a lot of names that people might know and uh, some that really caught my attention. And those were the ones I, you know, that I went to first. Uh, of course, the most famous one was Ned Bustard himself. I'm <laughs> preaching. <it>. That's right. <laughs> but we have people, the likes of Tim Keller in here and Charlie Peacock as well. And Charlie Peacock is a, a guy who, you uh, know, I'm not a music fan. I mean, I'm a music fan, but I don't know much about music. But I remember when I was a, a baby Christian and I, I'd look at the CDs that I had and it seemed like Charlie Peacock was the producer on... Every single one of them. It's, yeah, all the good seen. stuff. That's true. And I thought, who is this guy? Yeah, and yeah. How can he be everywhere? Is is the world that small that he's producing all, all of this music?
0: So no, your tastes are just that good.
2: Well, that's true. <laughs> that's I do. I do have good tastes.
0: Yeah. Especially in France. Yeah, that's right. Right, and it's getting better and better. <laughs> it is. It is. Uh, and I was very, I was very curious to read
2: uh, Charlie Peacock's essay in uh, in the book. And um, I, it, was, it was very interesting because he was talking about artists and who they are and what kind of their, their mission is. But it struck me that you could almost take out the word artist when he said an artist is, and an artist does, and put almost any profession in there in some ways. An engineer, uh, an athlete, uh, whatever, whatever it was, and talking about excellence. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, and I thought that was interesting. So, it was like, one of those things was uh, that struck me was that uh, he said that um, artists are uh, are people who look and explore different standards of excellence in their work, and then so that they can understand it uh, and, and strive to demonstrate excellence in a variety of ways. Not only for excellent sake, but also kind of out of curiosity, and uh, so as I'm looking at two two artists here, Ken and, and Ned, I'm curious what you guys think about that.
0: Well, I, I think that the the fact that you saw that you could swap out other uh, professions for artists is important to me. I am very much of the mindset that the artist is a worker. Uh, in a in a very ordinary way. Uh, there's a, another essay in that book uh, by Ted Prescott. Uh, he's a sculptor, and it's about identity. And it, it's the an, same kind of, of thing. You can just swap out any profession and put it in there. And I think that folks are surprised by that because we've adopted a... Uh, this is one of my soapboxes. Forgive me as I step up here. And it, just the idea of a, that, that the artist is this demigod... That the artist is a uh, a unicorn, uh, you know this this kind of rare bird that uh, doesn't doesn't exist in the world that everyone else does. Right. So uh, I think that that um, I don't know if we go so far as to say it's a lie from the pit of hell, but it's close to it that that, right, right. that, that the artist is a special thing that doesn't um, fit because I think you find the best artists are just working well in the world because they're following um, the, the guidelines that are in creation itself and they're doing, doing their work well. Um, the idea of excellence, um, you know, that kind of under, under, uh, undergirds the whole book, the idea that we're bringing glory to God and how do we do that through our art. It's, it's through excellence. It's how we're, how we're doing our work um, well and yeah. that, that brings glory to God.
1: Yeah, and I think that the problem with lies is that they have consequences, right? When yeah. you believe the wrong thing, it gets you in trouble. The trouble that we get into when we think that artists are so special in that way and doing such different things, they're not really working or something, right. uh, is that it, it has consequences for the non-artists because they think, well, I'm not special, I'm doing mere work here. I'm not being inspired, I'm not doing anything that's really, you know, divine or uh, important or culturally significant. But it's also a problem for the artist. Uh, I, you know, went going through uh, school, you know, was, was, saw this firsthand about how uh, we, were, we were taught to think of ourselves as special, as different, as unique, <laughs> yeah. as so, yeah. sort of, and so it gives you this real weird complex when it comes to doing the work. When you sit down and realize that, well, what I really need to do is practice my scales, and work out these chord progressions and sort of work on my, my penmanship, and all of a sudden you feel like, well, where's the special? Where's the juice? Where's the, where's the artistry in that? And so I, I think it's failure on both ends of the spectrum.
0: Oh, absolutely, and I think it also, um, it impoverishes folks who aren't artists, their understanding of what art is and what can, it can be, because it becomes this special, um, I don't know, secret club that I don't know the password to get in on now. Now that being said, art like any other discipline requires learning um, the fundamentals, understanding the language. Uh, you know, I can't look at a spread like I I can't use Excel. I, I admit this now. I don't know how it works. Uh, it's a language that's beyond me. And if you if you had asked me to to interact with an Excel spreadsheet, I would say that that that's just be, you know, that's, it's, it's something that, um, it's like magic, uh, some kind of dark magic. And, uh, it's because I don't know the language. And I think that that's the same thing with the arts is that we, we, uh, we isolate the arts and we, we say that there are these this special thing that you can't get involved in and then you don't learn the language. And then of course you can't speak the language. If you, if you haven't learned the basics.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now I, I was interested in what you guys were just saying, and it made me think of one of the things that I have underlined here in, in Charlie Peacock's essay. I'd like to read it to you. It says, the pursuit of excellence to God's glory through practice and study, through the cultivation of God's given talent, the reasons for love is the way Christians can and should go about na- narrowing the gap. And I thought about practicing your scales, right? What's that? That's, that's cultivating the the talent, right? It's the hard work, it's the study that goes into art, and we don't often think about art that way. I know, Ken, you and I have talked many times about this, but I used to go you know, watch concerts or listen to music, and my thought would be, these guys are amazing, it's, it's, it's wonderful, it's beautiful to see this come out. And, but I never saw what happened behind the scenes. And then I was exposed to people like Ken and my wife and his wife uh, practicing music so that they could go out and perform and I saw all of the hard work and rehearsing that goes into that and I thought oh oh it doesn't just come out it's something that's cultivated that's worked on that's studied and of course it is and so and that connects me to you know one of the things I think we see in artists that maybe we don't see in other people as much is that they are people who have a fascination with something and they, and they engage themselves in it and, and give over to it and they play and experiment with it. And other people kind of stop playing early on in life.
1: Well, and, and we were at a presentation skills class recently and it, and it struck me that, that what if these people who are working on a presentation had 10% of the fascination with a presentation that a music student has with their instrument, right? You know, yeah. th- they're not used to practicing rehearsing. You know, you, you, you. one of the first instructions was you wanna be practicing this, so play with this, experiment uh, with it. What happens if you do this with your voice and that with your voice? They're just interested in getting it right and they wanna to try to get it right the first time. And if it doesn't come out right the first time, they're a failure at it and right. that's just not for them. And then it makes them nervous and making it nervous makes it worse. And the worse it is, the more nervous they get and the right. self-fulfilling right. prophecy spills out. Um, just a little bit of the joy and the sheer delight and the experimentation that goes into the practice room would go a long way for business people who are trying to be successful. Doing what's really a lot more like the artist than they realize. What 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 is your thought on that?
0: Well, now? and that's the thing. the The idea of practice. Um, the, again, this this I think is is our cultural um, presuppositions that are just completely without basis. The idea we we often see this in education that. You'll have uh, a young child and you'll say, well, uh, you give them paints and say, well, be creative, which I think is the biggest um, uh, mistake when it comes to raising children is you say, okay, well, in math, you're going to practice your math facts. In, in reading, you're going to practice reading, but when it comes to art, you're just going to let the spirit move, and it, all of a sudden, this like <laughs> this, you're going to be overcome by this creative wash of experience and that's where this comes from and i think that that's like what you're talking about with the concerts is that we have this idea that oh that person just got up there and plugged in a guitar for the first time and oh isn't it amazing how this just all came to them right and and right. i so it's i think this is where where we say uh no the arts are not just you're inspired because i think that that, that you know you see that with a good lecture you know, talking about making presentations, those things don't just happen. Right. Uh, I just saw a comedian, uh, my daughter was home, and she's like, oh, you gotta watch this comedian on Netflix. And we are watching it, and it came across as he, it was just like a stream of consciousness. He was just making these funny jokes. And I stopped in the middle, I said, you all know that this is heavily scripted. They're like, oh, yeah, yeah, he's practiced this. It doesn't come across as practice, but he has worked really hard to make this just smooth. Yeah. And that, Applies in business, it applies in art, and any time that we think that there is isn't work going into these things, we're completely misguided.
2: Right? Yeah. And and what's interesting about it, we've had this conversation around feedback before, haven't we? Around people producing, uh, you know, uh, speeches essentially, and the feedback given to them—that's part of the process. And and yeah, the, in the idea. arts you call it critique. Right? Yeah. And 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 how normal that is, and how in the yeah. business world there's kind of an expectation that you do something and it's right the first time. And so feedback becomes a negative thing because if it's not perfect the first time, something's
0: desperately wrong. No, it's amazing how impoverished that view is yeah. of what it means to be a human being. And, um, and, and really kind of the, again, talking about business, the, the limited vision you have, the limited imagination you have of what things could be. Yeah, if you put the time and effort into it.
2: I I wonder, you know, I wonder how we, um, how we got, how we got to here, how some things remained art and experimental
0: um, and beautiful and some things became work. I think some of it is just the uh, specialization over time of, uh, you know, the factory. You get the factory versus the craftsman and you start separating um the the production of things um and if you have this well-crafted you know you look at antique pocket watches it, it, there's there's art artistry in there that's mm-hmm. it's craft it's it's um it's time it's it's practice it's talent uh but we've we've separated those and and then also i think that you know after the enlightenment um, you know you'd have the the romantic movement in art impressionism you 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 look at the later art movements and it becomes much more uh subjective much more um separated from the ordinary and i think that that is some of it that we've hmm. we've um we've made art capital a art and it uh and i'm not saying that th- i'm against galleries or or um or the 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 high art. I'm very interested in that. But when, as soon as you separate those things and you isolate the the ordinary from the beautiful, um, or or yeah, or see yeah. them as separate, that that's when things start breaking down and, and you lose contact. Yeah,
1: so so I'm interested in in how that applies to the work you do, Ned, because you made a really important distinction there. That that where did it start breaking down? It broke down when the when the creation of something and the production of something were separated. Right, where right. the industrial age, you know, one person can create it, and then all these other people run the assembly line to produce it, and all those producers don't see themselves as creative; they see themselves as just getting the work done. Um, but Well, they and, and don't see
0: themselves as connected to the end product, which I think is a, yeah. a huge thing. I, I also am just amazed. I, I grew up in a family. We had a, um, my dad was an entrepreneur. He had a small business. And he understood, and I understood through seeing him, and, and obviously just through my own business, the connection between what I do and why I get paid. Mm -hmm. And so often that we have people doing jobs and they don't see that connection. So, of course, they're, you know, they're not as invested, they're not as um, inspired and they're not as interested in making creative choices. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And that's that's something that uh, I often talk about when I'm talking about leadership and organizational design to people is that um, people become disengaged from their work when uh, when their uh, ability to. Invest and create and add their own minds to things and their own skills to things. They become cogs in a wheel, and then their 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 work lacks meaning. It la- lacks it lacks connection to their soul, right. to their spirit, and uh, and so people then disengage because they're just rote machines producing things. They're not engaging their whole selves, and um, yeah, and great. I often go back to the Industrial Revolution. As as a point in time that changes the way uh, we do work, not just and, and and not just how we cre- we create or uh, things or make things, but also who we work with, right? So so God made us inherently to work with and be connected to the people uh, around us that we're working with, and to the people we're producing things for. One of the things Charlie Peacock talks about is that. Art is a way to show love to people. Yeah, And when you don't know your customer, you're not making it for a customer. It's pretty hard to put love into it. And if you're just making a piece of it, right. And so it's, it's interesting how, uh, you know, art keeps us connected to the product we're making and why we're making it into
0: us versus production separates us yeah and and you see the you know in in restaurants the whole uh farm to table movement and how that resonates so much with us now uh and i think that's because you're 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 making those connections you're saying oh this is not an isolated thing i'm consuming or producing but that i'm part of this whole um (laughs) whole circle of life
1: well how are you doing that in your work ned because you're you're an illustrator and you know obviously what's happening with illustration is it's very computerized, it's very uh, digital, it's transmitted a lot of times in ways where you never see the customer. It's online or it's in some printed material. You're not there reading the book with your you know, uh, clientele. So how are you making that connection in your work?
0: Yeah, that is a challenge. I think that um, with my work, uh, my connections are a lot of times with my client trying to uh, form positive relationships with the vendor if, if I'm uh, like I'm very committed to using the same printers over and over because I want to have those relationships I don't want it to become uh, disconnected um, but it, it is hard for me I always uh, am amazed when someone comes up to me and says oh I read your book because it, it I have bec- I, you know I work by myself I'm on the third floor of a little house and what i do and connecting to people is often really really challenging uh, i'm always amazed that that someone has read my book or seen my illustrations right. and um or they like them i recently <laughs> i did i did something and this one uh I, I did a book called every moment holy which is a collection of liturgies and i illustrated and designed it and i was talking to the author and he, and i i just did a a record cover for his son-in-law and he was like, oh, I just think it's, it's great. And I said, oh, do they like it? He goes, oh yeah, they, everyone loves it. Who saw it. And I said, oh, I'm just amazed that he goes, well, you need to get used to that. Uh, that people like your work. And I'm like, I I just don't, uh, it's not that I think it's bad work. I just don't connect with people who are looking at my work. So what you're saying is, is actually a real problem for me. Uh, this, Mm. this connection of what I make with who is, um, the end user. I think yeah. some of that is is broken down, just in the fact that what I make is usually generated so much from who I am and who my community is. I really see success as being uh, making work that's going to serve um, and bless those who are who are in my life. So um, uh, when I get a new book. Uh, so, you know, like I've got the Church History ABCs and the Reformation ABCs, which are real fun kids books that I did. People are buying them all over the world, which is great. Royalties are fun. But what I do is, you know, I give it to uh, the kids at my church and I see them open it. And that's where I'm making those mm. connections. Right, right. Because it's all local, you know. Right. So so
2: it's kind of an interesting thing there that how how uh, you're a visual artist, at trying to make art that's going to be seen by somebody, yet you don't often see them. Uh, and I, I, I wonder well, if thanks that's- thanks, I'm a, real depressed now,
0: now you pointed that out. <laughs> but I, I, I wonder what if that's the case- What a sad person you are. You're making pictures and nobody's looking at them. <laughs> but Excuse I wonder, me, you have to go cry for a little bit. <laughs> well, we didn't say nobody's looking at it. the question
2: <laughs> is, is, do you know who they're, who they're looking at? And I'm wondering, if that's been the case for visual art throughout time
1: yeah and i think that that this is not new of course to you or to us ned but um the visual art is not only separated from the customer the experience of enjoying the art is often uh, separated from can separate the artist and the um enjoyer
0: (laughs) yeah well and that's one of the things that i i love i have a um art gallery downtown that i run and that's one of the things i really like about it, is bringing in the art bringing in the artist and and it's first friday and you get to meet the artist and talk to them about their work and it's been really very very gratifying for uh, the folks who could do that is that they they get to see the people who are seeing their work and and explain it and and interact and, and hear back what people are seeing in their work um Yeah, it certainly doesn't happen all the time, but when it does, it it can be a really beautiful thing.
1: Yeah, and I think it's also not unique uh, to to visual artists, of course, too. Um, I was at a party uh, just this weekend, and uh, an artist of food, a chef that we know Mm -hmm. locally, uh, did all of the barbecue for the event. And it was interesting to me, there's a certain moment when he came and delivered the food and he came to the back porch and he just stood there and he looked around the back porch at all the people that were enjoying his food. And this feeling, I could just tell that he wanted to be there. He wanted to experience, like these are the people I was cooking for. These are the people that are gonna be enjoying this food. And he wasn't just after accolades, he was just, there's something about tying to the experience of it that was significant. Well,
0: you wanna see that it works, I think. I mean, that's the thing, like, did this, did people like it? Did, you know, yeah. I made a wheel. Did it roll down the street? And I think that that's a, a really a great thing. But it goes um, back
2: to the purpose that we create for people. Yes. Right. But what, what also reminds me of, Ken, is, is um, and I, it, this is a, a kind of uh, a generalized experience. When people make things for you. I've had the experience. Where people make some food for you, and they want to tell you what's in it. Your brother was doing this, right? It was to tell you what's in it, and I'm like, I don't care. It tastes good. <laughs> I mean, I care for a few seconds, right? Yeah.
0: I, get in I just, my belly.
2: I just want to eat it. That's the part that I care about. They want to tell you what's in it and how they did it. Yeah, which strikes of the artistry.
0: Yeah. No, it's, it's the lover and they, they love, they love the what they've done. They love the materials and, and they're showing you love through that.
2: Yeah. Mm. Mm. You know, what else it strikes me of is the refrigerator door. Hmm. Say so, more. Well, so, so we what your kids, when they're young, they hand you things they've created, right? Yeah. And, the, and, uh, and they hand them to you because that's their expression of, of love. You yeah. know, I'm in church sometimes, and kids hand me pictures. I made because, this like, for you. Made this for you, and it has their <laughs> name on, and their name on, or just their name. And and then what do you do? You put it on your refrigerator door, so the kids can see that you received their love, right? And are putting their art there, and they're so proud of what they made. Yeah, it's the same thing, isn't it?
0: Yeah, yeah. You're affirming their work, yeah. their value in that.
2: Yeah.
1: What else in that uh, book, Mike? Did you feel like? was worth gleaning for, for the kind of audience that we have.
2: Well, so, and we kind of alluded to this earlier and I'm just gonna take some quotes cause I think he says some things that are just awesome. And so let me, let me read this quote and tell you why it strikes me. And he's actually quoting a guy named Pete, uh, Kreeft in his book, making choices. And it says a ballet dancer becomes free to make beautiful moves only by conforming herself to the laws and principles in discipline practice. A scholar becomes free from ignorance only by conforming to the truth, to data, to the facts. And I I just... This strikes me in my world because um, the truth of it, right? So, so in mathematics, you always have to have proofs, right? There are proofs underlying the math you do, and they have to... And one of the big things in math is proving the proofs, right? So that then you can demonstrate... These other things are true. and um, and it occurs to me that all excellence requires a foundation of truth. right And, and so um, and for me, I what I see in this world falling apart is the, the, the loss of foundational truths. And so I wonder where does that take us in art? if we if we lack foundational truths in art
0: um do we see that yeah i think that that's really great in fact that's, <laughs> that's such a big idea i'm like well i gotta sit and think about that for a while because it it um the when the removal of truth is uh certainly uh we see in our day a, a uh, horrific consequence of modernity and um to to not have that you, you do see uh in so many different spheres how okay if we're going to take truth away uh again i go back to the 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 wheel analogy that I just threw out that uh, let's go with square wheels now it, that doesn't it doesn't line up with reality and but then we then we we have decided well i'm i'm committed to this this new unreality that is popular or um Trendy or or, or uh, politically correct, and I have to keep I have to keep pushing it down the road, and and you see how it it can really get in the way of making good work.
1: So what what foundational truths do you think need to be uh, renewed, Ned?
0: Well, I think first is is uh, and this may be the most difficult is to get people to accept that there can be foundational truths. You know, I think that that we're we're operating in a environment which doesn't want to accept that. Yeah, and I think so that would be the primary one obviously then I think the secondary or the second thing that would jump to mind for me is the need for um, for, for love the, the, the love your neighbor kind of thing. I think that we've we, we create these um, uh, artificial, constructs societally and, and, and in our work that we are an island and we don't need other people and that we're going to function just fine that way. Um, yeah, I think we actually have to just take this whole topic and make a whole new podcast out of it and <laughs> spend well, what, a couple of days thinking about these things.
2: What strikes me about that is that, um, is that, uh, that unless we have some foundational truths and believe that we're connected and that we love each other, then the relevance of art goes away.
1: The relevance of all of work goes away because yeah, work, work yeah. yeah, yeah, work is really a way of loving people. Right. And it's just the artists that are helping us understand right. it, I think.
2: Right. But so, so let's just take, yeah. So, so take the, the, the standards first. And we see this, we see this, you know, um, unless we unless we agree on what beauty is or what some truths are we cannot look at the same piece of art and go that's beautiful right and if and if enough people can't look at art and go that's beautiful and appreciate that then there's no market for it and there's no appreciation for it which is kind of in some ways what we see right and so all over yeah yeah and so there's no there's no way to validate it and there's no no value in it
0: and so well, if I would you, say the value has been robbed from it. Right. Yes. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. still
2: there. The 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 societal value given to it. Right. Right. And then and then this is what and this is what the arts are always talking about is that if, if there's nobody sponsoring the art, then how can we do it? Right. We can't create this, and we can't educate people to produce it. And so we see a loss of art in society. Right. And so which is which is which is you know sad but then then we also have um, it, it, you know if there's if there's no love for one another, who's the art for it's all self gratifying
1: yeah. yeah you ask people why why do you work why do you why have you chosen this profession? if you ask young people today, they'll tell you because it it fulfills me right um, well that's a nice side benefit to work, but the primary benefit to work is that this is how I love people.
2: It's how we serve. Yeah. It's, and, it's, and and that leads to what it leads to, we see in the work world, is people who are c- continuously dissatisfied and floating and feeling disconnected because the work isn't fulfilling for them.
1: So they're gonna switch jobs a lot, they're gonna change their majors a lot, they're going to try harder and harder to get a job. Yeah. Uh, that's supposedly more fulfilling, only to find out that Tr- it's not as fulfilling as they thought it was going to be. Tremendous discontent.
0: Well, and it goes back to the connection we were talking about earlier. If you're not seeing the connection between what you're doing and the good of other people, um, there, there can be really very little joy.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that, this t- all takes me back to Genesis, right? And, you know, um, you know, I believe that in the first three chapters of Genesis— Um, we learned all that we need to learn really about how, how to engage people in their work. Mm -hmm. Right. And one of those things is, you know, what we see work is for is for other people. So if, if
1: workers need this connection between what they're doing and the, the fulfillment of other people, the way it's helping other people, what then do leaders need to do? Like, what's the message for business leaders today?
2: Well, I I think that the, um, the part of the message goes back to purpose and meaning in their work. Why are we doing work? And, uh, you know, and part of it we see is who's your customer and uh, are, you know, putting your customers' concerns and needs before yours and saying, this is a way to help your customer. This is a way to please your customer. And then ultimately a way to help people. We've taken that out. um, And and one of the reasons we've taken it out, I I believe, is because Americans – are so individualized that we refuse to be servants we want to be the master we want to be the king we want to be the queen we want everyone to bow down to us and so therefore we're not ready to bow down or serve other people and the idea of serving putting yourself below somebody is anathema
0: to to most people these days well certainly that's the story of our of our culture that that you have anyone who is serving is um, is the uh, low man on the totem pole, and that right. that we wouldn't value those things. Um, you know, I think you see this in higher education a lot. That you have folks like, well, I have to go and I have to um, go to college so I can get this like high end career because then that's going to be good. And then you you know you see all these folks or, or all these sectors of our society that's like, well, we don't have anyone who would do job x like like all of our trucks are going to fall apart because we don't, don't have anyone who's willing to be a mechanic and rather and because we as a culture have said that's that's low work that's demeaning work that's um, stuff that you can't be proud of that that is is not valuable mm-hmm. and you know i think that these it's it's almost the 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 big story that our culture has and and that the the the, the flaw the fatal flaw in it is this this hierarchy of valuing work that over some work over others and and then th- therefore killing killing the society because you can't keep that going. The other thing is would be the um, uh, the aspect of the work um, the kind of work that you're doing. You're talking about pleasing your customer and, and, and taking care of them. I think that we also need to think through, What's going to be good for people? Like a lot of times, you know, you see your kid. It's like, well, I want candy bars right. all the time. Well, that's not really good for you. And you, like the the need for us to not only take care of our clients, but give them what is good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I see this a lot in my uh, graphic design work. That I'll uh, a client will come and say, "This is what I want." Um, let's say, uh, purple bunnies flying over a moon, and this is going to be my logo. And I'll say, well, <laughs> I, I can see how you would like that, but it really, you know, that, you know, you're, you're, you have a auto repair shop. This is, it may not really communicate well to your clients what you actually do for a living. So in that way, I have to love that person by not giving them what they want and, and, um, I mean, ultimately, <laughs> they have to like it, but that right, that, right, I, right. that I that I want to I want to do good by them, and I want them to see that there's a bigger there's a bigger story, and uh, what they may perceive as good might just be what they saw in People Magazine, which you know is going to kill them in the end.
2: I, I think what's interesting is that you know we're here to talk about like art, right, and and how it glorifies God, and what we we keep going to is the intersection of art and culture and art and work right um which i think tells us something about the truth of art you know that it's it's for culture it reflects culture uh, uh it's part of culture and it's all it's work and work and it needs to serve our- too
0: i mean you were talking about that earlier and i think that for me is a really important idea is that what i'm making what people are making in the arts should be for the good of of the society yeah
1: yeah i think we're saying that both both art is broken in ways that it's not serving and needs to serve and it's also true that art has retained what's been lost in other kinds of work which is this idea that that our that the work that we're doing needs to come from a place of of real truth of discipline, of submission to the 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 craft, mm-hmm. and, and the materials, yeah, and the materials, and the natural processes that that those materials um, require. And so, for the musician uh, to ha- or the artist of any sort to have a message for the worker, of of the non-artist worker, is to say, you know, our work is not that different, in some pretty fundamental ways. And for you to take uh, a lesson from either the rehearsal space, or the craftsmanship approach, or just the the um, subservient role that the artist, uh, when they're when they're operating well, will take by um, by doing all the preparation necessary to present those truths in love is is to make work better,
0: is to make everyone's work better. Well, and I think the, the challenge would be also that you'd say, friend. I am interested in goodness, truth, and beauty, in what I do. You can be interested in that as well. That that what that these aren't just ideas that are limited to the studio, but that they can be um, worked out and worked through every sphere of life.
2: Yeah. So let me ask a question. i I'm I'm, I'm 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 processing what little
0: I know about the history of art.
2: Right. And so one of the things I've heard, I is read that, a
0: curriculum, if you want to go order it now, thanks. Can, uh, <laughs> I think <laughs> read up on maybe it. Maybe I'll have
2: to do that. But what it and of and what you described as high art. So my understanding is that high art initially was very biblically themed. Uh, and uh, when, when do you say initially, well, the when Parthenon you, is not about? quite biblically well, themed. Well, okay. Yeah. Okay. Good point. So I guess I'm looking at since Renaissance, right? The Renaissance. And so I'm thinking like there was this, a lot of the, the paintings at least were uh, biblically themed. And then we went to, we got, you know, we we went on through the Renaissance and uh, the Enlightenment and we started looking at other things. We started looking at the, the people and creation and uh, and painting those things. And then we kind of had this almost de-evolution to uh very abstract things that really require, uh, the artist to explain them to you so that you don't rec- you don't recognize what's in them, um, as beauty or have the meaning in them until they're explained to you. And I don't know, is that, that, that to me kind of, kind of reeks of a lack of truth in them. Like not being founded on truth. Like if I can't reckon, if I, if I can't recognize anything in there as to what it is and why it might be beautiful,
0: have we lost? Have we lost? Well, I, uh, there's a whole bunch of things you said in there that could all be addressed. Oh, uh, one thing is you talked about uh, the biblical themes in art in the Renaissance. You have to follow the money. Where, where is the patronage coming from? And you know, that factors in. But then to jump ahead to the, to the more abstract or conceptual art uh, that dealing in more recent times, uh, one of the essays in It Was Good is by uh, Dr. James Romaine. He's an art historian, friend of mine. He writes about the Sistine Chapel. It's a fabulous essay. But one of the things he said to me once is uh, that he comes across people with uh, a Dick and Jane level of visual literacy. And I quote him on this all the time because it it for me it's really helpful that if you're um, if if you've only gotten to first grade reading level and I give you Moby Dick we're gonna have a problem because you you've only learned to read see Dick jump, you know jump see see Jane run and and I'm giving you a book that has themes and metaphors and a giant white whale in it and, and you're like I, I just don't know what to do with this it doesn't make any sense um, the problem is that you know educationally or as a cu- culture we've we don't we don't educate people visually we we say uh, you know going back to the what I was saying earlier we just give kids some crayons and say be creative and that's the be-all and end-all rather than the, and to say well um, there's ideas of design there's form there's color, that these things have meaning, and um, I, can, I can explain these things to you. You know, A lot of the times when I'm explaining artwork to people at my gallery, it's not that they couldn't understand it. It's just that they've never gotten to the point in their visual literacy to be able to engage with the work. It's not that the work is really uh, even that advanced. It's just if you've only read Dick and Jane, and I give you the Hardy Boys, you're still going to have problems with that.
1: Yeah, the analogy I would use uh, for myself for how I'm relating to it is with coffee. When I first tasted coffee, I thought it was horrible. It is, and I would have said what I would have said what uh, what Michael just said, which Uh. is that where's the truth in this? Where's the goodness? Where's the beauty in this? This stuff is water, burnt water. There's nothing redeeming in this at all. And the truth is that I just didn't have the mature enough palate to appreciate it. It took time for me to get a, a more education for my palate to grow and and get a,
2: little and a bit diversity of
0: different kinds of beans and, yes. and, and different cafes. Yeah, and, right. and how you grind it and Rice. how you brew it. Yes, yes. This is what I've learned. <laughs> yes, that's what they right. tell me. So <laughs> no, but I, I feel the same way. Like I I enjoy uh, drinking wine, but I realize that I know so little that my palate is just not. Um, uh, educated enough to really be able to enjoy it well.
1: Yeah. So is that helpful, Michael, in terms well, so, of...
2: Yeah. Well, I think I think what we're saying here is, Michael, you've been educated <laughs> at a Dick and Jane level.
0: I'm sorry. We and, didn't really want to have to point that out, well, but there you go. And that's
2: okay. That's okay. You know, I understand this. <laughs> you know, I always talk about, like, when I watch a football game, uh, I'm not watching the same game as my brother who played college ball. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. it doesn't... Yeah. So so, yeah. so maybe maybe my, my analogy or connection doesn't really work. Well, I think it uh, works in
1: the sense that you' you're pointing out that uh, the higher up you go in the chain of sophistication, the more education you're gonna need to appreciate the subtleties, the impact, the meaning, and, and the underlying truth that you so care about. Um, and I think that it's unfair to to tell your brother, What a bad game football is or to tell a coffee lover or a wine lover you know how how worthless this is if you haven't also done the work of acquiring the vocabulary and the experience and the knowledge necessary to make discerning judgments
0: so i might say i'm having a difficulty appreciating this as you do right but i think that another thing going back to the idea of truth in our society and such is that we one of the problems with if if you've got if we're playing a game and there is no truth, then to to actually be able to do critique becomes impossible. And so, uh, you know, in in so many areas of our society, we, we say truth is is relative and there's no such thing as truth, etc. But let's sit down with the, these um, uh, in this cafe and drink these three different cups of coffee, and we're going to say this one's better than that one. Because we accept that there's truth, absolute truth. We accept that there's, it. and and I think one of the problems we have in our society is that uh, if you come and you say this is good or this is bad, you're you know you're the bad guy. Could be, you know, we're not allowed to do that. And um, now sometimes it's because you said that it's bad because you don't know any better. But uh, and you know you see this a lot. Well, until you experience what exactly I experienced on Tuesday in in July that you can't really talk into my life. Well, that's that's completely bogus. There are, um, even in the arts, you, like we uh, recently a show uh, at a gallery with a, a, um, a friend of mine who's, who teaches art at Messiah College, and we were going through, and we were liking different things, and we both said, this piece, and we pointed, is garbage. And, and you'd say, well, is it really, can you, realize? and like, no, no, as, as an artist who looks at this stuff all the time, I can tell you this is garbage. I just juried an art show uh, at a, a conference called The Breath in the Clay, which really was fabulous down in North Carolina. And I've had, you know, my sister would say to me, well, how can you make choices? You know, isn't that just what they, the person, what they felt or something? I'm like, no, I can make choices because I look at art a lot. And I can tell you, this is good art and this is bad art. And because you can do that. That's not a very popular idea generally in our culture. Yeah. You know, I'm going to get in trouble for even just saying, you know, that you can do that. <laughs> that I, uh, so, uh, you know, so Mike, what's the you point? Know, Maybe you, maybe you aren't the best one to evaluate a piece of artwork in all situations, but it doesn't mean that that evaluation can't happen, right? Um,
2: so, what would what would be the point of creating something um, or of doing it if there wasn't excellence? Because in order for excellence to exist, there has to be not excellence, right? Sure. And, and so what would be the point? What would, where, where would a person derive their
0: satisfaction? Well, there's narcissism. I, you, you know, you could make a, a piece of art just because you think you're great and, and you do it for that reason. You also, I mean, um, you also could make it to hurt people, but you know, uh, I don't remember where I read this, but uh, said Pablo Picasso said, you know, my art is bombs. And so, you, you can do artwork just to be injurious. Um, hmm.
1: And you could also do it for the same reason we go, a lot of us go to work and just grind it out because there's some practical benefit. It pays the bills.
0: Sure, somebody paid the bills for it, absolutely. I, I, some, a client just came to me recently and wanted a sculpture uh, made and I found uh, one of my friends is a sculptor. I gave them the job, we talked it through neither of us is ever going to claim that we had any connection to that job uh you know we're going to burn all records and and it'll just exist (laughs) because it was ugly and um but you know we also had to eat so yeah there definitely is that that problem of of um trying to exist in the world
1: Thanks for listening to WorkWise, the growth mindset for wisdom at work. This has been part one of a two-part conversation with Ned Bustard. So if you're looking for more, stay tuned for that. And until then, uh, thanks on behalf of Mike Boys from Credo Consulting. And this is Ken Kennard from Accent Interactive. And we'll talk to you soon.